of the flesh. You can only go, do so much, you can only go so long. The things that you would like to do, you don't have the ability to do, the intellect to do, the money. I am so tired of the limitations of the flesh. So when I get an opportunity to step out of that into a realm where the limitations of my flesh and of this world do not apply, I am ready to go. Ready to step into the realm of worship and the spirit where we can soar with wings of eagles. My Lord, some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. There are apostolics in this room right now that you do not have a clue what I'm talking about. God help us. There are sometimes in a service, God will appoint somebody to be a key. And if they will obey the Holy Ghost, look out. But if they don't, if they don't, if they quench the Spirit, and you would think that God would appoint a person to be the key who is someone that always yields to the Spirit to make it easy, but he doesn't do that. Sometimes he will appoint somebody that's dead in the Holy Ghost, that's dry in their prayer closet. Because God knows if I can move that man or that woman, the rest is going to be easy. 
So somebody in this room is holding the key to a breakout. Somebody's holding the key to signs and wonders and to miracles. Perhaps it was one of you that didn't clap during worship or didn't raise your hands in praise. Somebody in this room is holding the key to people receiving the Holy Ghost and to people being healed. And I know you're praying right now. You may not have prayed for a long time, but right now you are praying, oh God, don't let it be me. You ought to be praying, God, let it be me. You ought to be praying, let me be the key. Let me be the one that will unlock the door to the windows of heaven and bring the blessing and glory of God down into this service right here. Let me be the key, Lord. Kind of like when the magician's on stage and he says, I need a volunteer. And everybody else. hiding from the Holy Ghost right now. Well, that's our way of greeting our visitors, so visitors, welcome. I'm just tired of being me. I'm ready to, I'm ready to be something else in God. I'm ready to break, break the mold, break the alabaster box. Come on, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. It's important that I make these announcements. Not that I want to, but yard sale is next Saturday, 7 o'clock. We're always out of here by noon. Believe me, you'll be ready to go by noon. Setup is uh, Saturday evening. My wife will be here at 4.30. Bless her heart. What I say? We we're just talking about that, weren't we, Brother Goliath? <laughs> about why God created Eve, because Adam was lost without her. And uh, you're asked to wear your green APT shirts. <clears throat> green represents money, I suppose. And we want people to come and spend. Ladies going to ladies' conference need to see Sister Carrie. Sister Carrie, raise your hand. Everybody knows Sister Carrie. She needs your money, the registration fee, <coughs> if you're going to go to the ladies' conference. Now, I looked over to see if Brother Bowley was here, and I see he's not here. Brother Bowley is hurt. And uh, Sister Kathy Snyder texted me this morning and said, Larry is in a really bad way. Uh, he won't come to church because he has no ears left. He is has been eaten away by cancer. His face is almost as half gone. Doctor just told him your nose is getting ready to fall off. I mean, this man is, is, has this horrible disease. And so I want to pray for Brother Bowley this morning. I want to pray for Kathy, who is, uh, bless her heart, doing her best to take care of her husband and pray for Larry. God can do anything. Larry doesn't, <coughs> excuse me, have the Holy Ghost. Uh, he has been baptized in Jesus' name, but uh, Kathy and I together agreeing and praying that 
Larry's kind of a laid-back kind of a guy, but somewhere in his thinking on God, reading the Bible, meditating, that God will baptize him with the Holy Ghost so that uh, he will be able to go to heaven and be with the Lord. So you may not know Brother Bowley or you may not know Kathy or Mary, but I know you know other people that are probably hurting. And so when we pray, uh, picture those people as you're praying for Kathy and Mary and for, for Brother Bowley. Would you do that for me? Let's lift our hands right now. Father, we would not think of not praying in the name of Jesus Christ because as we approach the throne of God for these precious saints, God, the way has been paved for what our request is through the name of Jesus and through the blood of the Lamb. We pray in agreement today that you will release the power to heal Larry and Brother Bowley and all of the people that's represented in the hearts and minds of your people today. And we pray, Jesus, that you will reach down and, and you will put a little bit of joy in Sister Kathy's heart. You will give her some rest today in the Holy Ghost, Jesus. Lift her spirit and her soul as she faithfully cares for her husband. And we pray the same kind of thing upon everyone that is in this room right now, whatever burdens that they are carrying, whatever concerns, whatever trials, tribulations that are going on in the lives of those that are in this room. May the Lord Jesus undertake for them, undertake for them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. I know you've been standing a long time, so let's go into the word of the Lord and begin in Proverbs chapter 20. I just have four verses of scripture to read and then uh, you'll be able to sit down because you can sit anytime. There's doesn't mean you can't. Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength. All the young men say amen. Did I hear an elder say that? And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Somebody needs to tell, tell the mirror in my bathroom that. <clears throat> I hate it every time somebody tells me, you look good. But they're saying, you look good for an old guy. They don't mean you look good. <laughs> they said, for being as old as you are, you look pretty good. But my mirror never agrees. Leviticus 19.32, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head or the gray head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, then he says, I am the Lord. I want you to make sure you get this, because I'm not coming back to Leviticus 19. Honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. It's not a request. Acts 15 and 4, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. Everybody say elders. And they declared all things that God had done unto them. That's Paul and Barnabas. And in verse 22, then it pleased, uh, pleased it to the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. 
were like for you. We haven't done this in months. At this point, we always wave to one another. I am tired of that. Why don't you get out and greet somebody, shake their hand without fear of COVID-19. Show thyself friendly and you will have friends, the Bible says. Okay, break out the coffee and donuts. How many ladies in this room have a bottle of anointing oil with you? <clears throat> Get it out. You're going to need it. Dig it out of your purse or wherever it is. Get it out because you're going to need it in a few minutes. I believe that there will probably be, I don't want to speak this prophetically, but there will probably be some who will question <clears throat> my motives for preaching this message today. Uh, I will leave that between you and God. You all can work that out together. Because some of you that were here three or four weeks ago recall that I was supposed to preach it on that Sunday. And on Friday morning, I... Ask the Lord in prayer. I, I think it's the only time I've ever done this, unless God can say no. You have, but I think I don't remember ever doing it. I asked, said to God, I don't want to preach that. Would you give me something else? And God so graciously uh, gave me right there. I mean, it was amazing a message to preach for that Sunday, but He let me know that I wasn't off the hook. And so. He told me, you are going to preach this uh, the next time you preach. And so I know that I've been charged by the Lord to deliver this message. And uh, the message is, as you see on the screen, <clears throat> restoring the ministry of elders. Now, you may think that, well, I'm not an elder, so I guess I could be dismissed. And no, no, you can't. I believe there will be uh, bread along the way for each and every one of us. Before we really begin, I want to point out something that was in our text, and that was that the apostles seated themselves among the elders. Now, you are in an apostolic church, in an apostolic atmosphere, where we preach apostolic doctrine, apostolic authority, apostolic precepts, but you have to know something, that the apostles seated themselves in Jerusalem among the elders. They didn't say, look, we're apostles, we don't need you. We have been ordained and empowered and called as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's not what they did. They seated themselves among the elders who were an integral part of church leadership in the book of Acts, the elders were included in all matters pertaining to the business of the church. 
So you may wonder, why is this so important? Well, it must be important to God because here I am standing before you talking about it. But I think it's important on a lot of other levels because if the elders fail, I'm going to get this out of the gate right now, if the elders fail to assume their rightful place, their ordained place in the kingdom of God, then those that come behind them will not have a living model to follow. Of course, there are uh, multiple biblical examples of faith and courage and, and, and uh, holiness and righteousness and, and all of the things that are important. There are biblical examples, but biblical examples are not enough. You can't just read about David and have the spirit of David. But when an elder steps up and exemplifies the same spirit that David had, now a young man can get on that. A young woman can recognize that. It's not just something that the preacher or the pastor preached about on Sunday. There's a living example of somebody among us in the house of God that's living according to the spirit of David. And so, with the help of God, we're going to address, and hopefully, by the time we're finished today, begin restoring the ministry of elders in the church. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became king of Israel at the death of, of his father. The Bible says that all the congregation came to him, and they made the following appeal. Now, I thought I could tell the story, uh, but if I read it, I wouldn't leave anything out. So beginning in the fourth verse of 1 Kings chapter 12, when they came to Rehoboam, they said, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. In the final years of Solomon's reign, uh, Solomon was consumed by uh, the worship of idols. He was consumed by the worship of devils. And in so being consumed, he became a tyrannical leader. He wasn't the kind, benevolent king that he had been through much of his reign. And he laid heavy and unreasonable uh, burdens upon the people. And so when Rehoboam becomes king, the, uh, the, the, the people saw an opportunity, and they seized that opportunity, and they came to the king in, in, to plead with him that he would lighten their load. Verse 5, and he said to them, Depart ye yet for three days. Then come again to me, and the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men. Everybody say, old men. Now, I've got to tell you, pause for a moment, I have the utmost respect for elders in the church. It's not because I are one either. I've always maintained, perhaps it was taught to me when I was a, a new Christian. So I have the utmost respect for you, and I would never say anything obnoxious. I would not or never intentionally offend you in any way. Now, if the word offends you today, 
You can, you can hate the messenger if you please. But you've got to know that I respect every elder. I respect everybody in this church. Everybody that's here, from the, from the youngest to the, to the oldest. I don't even know who the oldest is, but I know I'm not him. <laughs> and we're not going to see who is. <laughs> King Rehoboam consulted the old men, the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he had lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spoke unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that they were that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put on us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spoke unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spoke unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. You know what they said to, to Rehoboam, their buddy? You don't have to take this. You don't have to bow down to the whims and desires of the people. You're king now. You got the crown on your head. Go ahead and tell them an hour as my father did laid you with heavy yoke. I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Laying the law down. So by rejecting the counsel of the old men and taking the advice of the young men, there was a revolt. Jeroboam led a revolt, and it resulted in war and the dividing of the kingdom. Ten tribes followed Jeroboam, and two tribes followed Rehoboam. And there would be war between the house of Rehoboam and Jeroboam for many years. In fact, when you get into the Gospels and the earthly ministry of Christ, the Samaritans were a part of the ten southern tribes. They're still were looked down on by the two northern tribes of Israel. So in the latter years of Solomon's reign, this benevolent king became very cruel and harsh, very selfish and very tyrannical. And as a result, the nation of Israel became spiritually gaunt and emaciated. There was no true worship unto the one true God. There were no true sacrifices, while the ceremonial sacrifices perhaps were carried out in the temple. They weren't intended really in, in offered in sincerity. So we may ask ourselves the question, and I believe that the question that we're going to ask is not unreasonable. Seeing that this kingdom was spiritually gaunt and emaciated, and these elders that ruled in the court of Solomon while he was alive, the question is why should Rehoboam 
have listened to the elders who served under Solomon, seeing that the kingdom of God was in utter decay. You didn't do so good when my dad was alive. Why should I listen to you? We could put the question in another form. For example, what did the elders of Rehoboam, what did they bring to Rehoboam? What could they offer Rehoboam that the young men could not offer this young king? Some would say that the advice of the elders was seasoned with wisdom. Wisdom that they had gathered or gained or accumulated or accrued from their many years of kingdom service. I assure you this day, we're well, we're just crossing from... Uh, morning to evening or afternoon because nobody changed the clock. I'm not criticizing. We forgot too, and I, I had to rush and, oh, my goodness, honey, get up. <laughs> Things are sinking into despair right now. Talking about elders and they can't even read a clock. I think it's time passing. We got a digital clock up there. <laughs> In closing, <laughs> so what could they offer Rehoboam? At the moment, I am not sure, but we're going to try and talk about it for a few minutes. Everybody thinks, well, there was wisdom. I mean, they brought wisdom. But uh, I assure you that elders do not have a franchise on wisdom. Any elder that looks at a young man or a young woman and says, you just don't have the wisdom I have, you, you better read your Bible. Because James said in James 1 and 5, if any is any sick among you, let him call or let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally. If any man lack wisdom, the first thing you've got to do is admit you don't have any. Or you don't have enough. And we all face circumstances at times when whatever I thought I had is not working here. So if any man, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And so the consensus may be that the elders have increased along the way and along, along life's rugged path uh, uh, and gain some wisdom about some of the things that they've witnessed and some of the things that they have experienced through the course of their lives, especially their spiritual lives. But uh, uh, what James says here about this assumption is not what our conventional thinking is. So since this message is not about wisdom, and we can't go off on a tangent uh, for 20 or 30 minutes and come back to it, since this is not about wisdom, we're going to give you the cliff notes version. You don't know what that is. See, years ago in school, when, when you were assigned, see, i got to explain everything to these people. <laughs> see, elders know this stuff, but the young people are going, huh, what is that? <laughs> I feel like I have concrete blocks tied to my legs and somebody threw me in the lake. No. Years ago, when the teacher assigned you a book to read, we never read the book. We went to the store and bought the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> the book was this thick. The Cliff Notes were this thick. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version 
of what James taught about wisdom. He says that wisdom that is accrued or accumulated or gained through the course of life, I'm paraphrasing, of course, come from earthly sources. They come from earthly experiences. But that wisdom tends to produce bitterness. He said it tends to produce bitter envying and strife in our hearts, which is nothing more than pride. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've learned. Look what I've got. But in James 3.15, he says this wisdom that he's talking about here descendeth not from above but is earthly. We can deal with a little earthly stuff, but then he veers into sensual and even devilish. Listen to me because I've got a lot of experience and I've got a lot of wisdom. James said you better be careful with that. Then he says in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, you can read it, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So once again, we come back, come full circle now, back to our original question, why should Rehoboam, have listened to the elders who served under Solomon. So obviously by now you know it wasn't because of their wisdom. And if it was not because of their wisdom, then what other reason could we give why Solomon should have listened to them? What could the elders provide Rehoboam that the young men now could not provide? You're waiting for the answer. You're on the edge of your seat. It's called perspective. These elders brought perspective into the throne room. The young men were fighting at the bit to control everything, but the old men said, wait a minute. We see things a little different than you do because God has granted us perspective. You can't get perspective reading it out of a book. You can't get perspective by somebody drawing out some things on a blackboard. You can't get perspective by sitting in the pastor's office and, and being counseled. Perspective only comes from years and years and years of faithful service. So the young men may have been wise by earthly standards, but they could not see what the elders saw through the lens of perspective. Now, here's where it gets a little bit dicey because there's an attitude that has permeated the church that has relegated elders as nothing more than dusty icons of the past. Let me speak to our northern friends. Most of us are from somewhere other than here. I come down, but not from heaven. I came down from the Midwest. <laughs> and one of the things we used to hate is when a northern saint, this is the way we do it up north. Oh, 
she say that? Oh, and we would cringe. So I know you don't want elders to say, well, this is the way we did it 30 years ago. Do you understand what we did 30 years ago? If it was in the spirit, it's just as relevant as it is today. But you see, there's an attitude that's permeated the church that has set the elders on a shelf as dusty icons of yesterday. After all, your day has come and gone. Trust me, we're well aware of what's gone. What do you know, elders, that we don't know? I'm speaking as a young man. What could the elders possibly see that we don't see? I mean, you pray, you fast, you worship, you have a walk with God. What could that young man or that younger man or younger woman, what could the elder possibly see that you're not seeing in prayer? A lot of things. And so, the 21st century church has, for the most part, defrocked the elders and placed them in the seat of irrelevance. The apostle who taught us about wisdom also warned us to beware of its source and said the following, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the young men of the church. Is any sick among you? I mean, that. have we ever been in a service where somebody wasn't sick? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. You see, we don't do that anymore. We don't even think about it. Somebody comes sick, somebody, pastor, or myself, somebody grabs a bottle of oil. That's not what the Bible says, how we should pray for the sick. But we have already defrocked the elders. We don't need you to pray. We can anoint with oil. We can dab oil on somebody's forehead just like you can, and we can pray. But the Bible says to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord. So James understood something about the appointment and about the position and about the ministry of the elders within the body of Christ. I have pondered to some degree why the elders are to be called and I have come to the conclusion that there are uh, in God's mind, there are reasons that he has yet to divulge to me. Perhaps to someone else, uh, he has uh, given some clarity as to the reason why elders all to be, are to be called. But I can tell you this. This I can tell you. That uh, when an elder is called upon to pray over a precious saint of God that is sick or in pain or suffering with any kind of an infirmity or malady, he is more likely to have compassion on that person because my wife and I say all the time, and I know you repeat it, elders in your home, 
getting old is not for sissies. So why does an elder have compassion where a young person might not? Well, it may come from the fact that elders uh, suffer from the realities of getting old. Sometimes there are very harsh discomforts with these realities. Our brother Boley is, is, is experiencing that right now. And so when an elder comes to pray for someone that's sick, that elder is dealing with things, transitions and changes in his body. Sometimes uh, uh, things that come with old age, pain and and discomforts and all kinds of stuff. And so when they're praying for the sick, bless God, I know what you're going through. I know a little bit about what you're going through. Could it be that one of the reasons we don't see more miracles in the church is because we have relegated the elders to the seat of irrelevance and we have taken their place. So as long as we keep the elders in that seat, the church cannot and the church will not reach her full apostolic potential in the last days. So I believe that God is attempting to restore the ministry of the elders in the church, the church, in the body of Christ. And perhaps the following excerpt will help us to understand this a little better, put it into some of that perspective that we're trying to talk about. And I render this excerpt from the handbook on the Psalms and Wisdom Literature by Jeremy Painter. Uh, it's a form of commentary. Jeremy Painter is a United Pentecostal Church minister. And if you have not read that, you will be enthralled. It is just incredible. And so he writes, the story of the United States begins with the explorers, the visionaries, the fierce pilgrims, the hardy pioneers. And it was only long after the work of these men and women that America had the leisure to boast of its first great poets, philosophers, and musicians. Referring to... Uh, the Psalms and wisdom literature of the Bible, Brother Painter continues to write, the shift from prophecy to wisdom is a natural development of any healthy nation or movement. Unfortunately, we often see these two at cross purposes, the visionaries suspicious of learning and the educated marginalizing the visionary. Let me pause for a moment because I've seen this ever since we have served God now for 47 years. The academic man will sit in a worship service and go, you all are crazy. He's an academic. He's learned. He has read. He is well read. Perhaps very credentialed. Wonder why you all are worshiping like you're worshiping. But the worshiper looks at the academic and says, what's wrong with you? How can you sit there? You see what's going on? You see what Brother Painter's talking about? But he says, forests do not begin with tall trees. 
forests begin with the hardy, tough, resilient brambles and crabgrass. Once the tough, smaller plants colonize the ground, gather water, and cast sufficient shade to retain the ground's moisture, then fruit-bearing bushes can grow. And finally, once the soil has been fully prepared, tall trees can grow. And just so, the story of Israel does not begin with the riches of Solomon's kingdom. It begins with Abraham, a man who did not even own enough property in his lifetime to bury his beloved wife. Wisdom is a result of the tough work of prophecy and vision. Closer to home, he writes. A minister or family will pioneer a church, do the hard work of tilling what often feels like pavement, struggling every day just to keep the doors of the church open. In time, the work grows. The next generation now has the time its forebears did not have, time to prepare and strategize to read everything it can get its hands on, not to mention the financial rewards and benefits. Then he says this, only an arrogant generation would use the learning it has had the luxury to gain to mock and belittle and cast away the generation that gave them success. First Timothy 5 and 1, says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. Rebuke not an elder. I'm going to tell you right now, in the body of Christ, elders are being silently rebuked by being set aside and dismissed as no longer relevant to the work of God. You say, how do you know that? Because I've met men who were pushed out of ministries, who turned them over, but yet you don't, you don't have any relevance now. Let the young people take over. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. All elders are not preachers or ministers, but all elders are elders in the body. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Many of you that are sitting here uh, will not know uh, of whom I am getting ready to speak. Uh, so those of you that do not know the founders of this church, I would like to introduce you to Robert and Hilda Elkins. Reverend and Hilda Elkins. 1960, Brother and Sister Elkins moved his family to the city of Fort Myers from Indiana and gave birth to this great church. They faithfully pastored what was then called the First United Pentecostal Church at Fort Myers for 27 years. The first 10 years of any work uh, takes an incredible financial, physical, and emotional and spiritual toll on a church planter. 
and yet they carried on for 27 years. Everything that we enjoy here today is a result of their sacrifice, of their vision, of their burden, and of their dedication. Brother Elkins has passed and went on to his reward. Sister Elkins is now in an assisted living facility. How old is she, Brother Simmons? She'll be 87 this month. So even though they are not present, even though Brother Elkins has gone on to his reward, and even though you've never heard their name before today, would you join me? Would you stand with me? And would you clap your hands for the sacrifice and the burden and the vision of Brother and Sister Elkins who endured unspeakable hardships to birth this church and pass this on to us. Thank you, Brother Elkins. Thank you, Sister Elkins. We honor you today. But we are eternally grateful for what you have brought us. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you may doubt the legitimacy of an elder's ministry or perhaps even if it exists at all because it's not part of the fivefold ministry. I think this is because we have relegated the elders to senior citizen status so that they can get their discount at Mel's Diner. And so that they can go on day trips with other seniors in the church. Let me remind you that Abraham was 75 years old when God called him out of Ur. It's another three and a half years before I hit 75. You think I don't respect that man? He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. We are not praying for those kind of blessings. <laughs> God, do not misunderstand me here. <laughs> Every time my wife comes home from the doctor because we live by faith, I look at her and go, no, I'm just kidding you, of course. I mocked Geritol for years. I mocked it. My wife took it. I laughed at it. I mocked it until Sister Khan told me, and here, here's the truth. If an elder says do it, I better do it. I started taking Geritol, and last Sunday was my turning point. I have had, it's like I'm back from a long trip. My energy is back. The fatigue is gone. Talking about that stuff that came on from COVID. Thank you, Brother Geritol. <laughs> See, all the young people laugh. The old people are going, amen, brother. <laughs> Lord, help us. 
It's estimated that Zechariah was somewhere between 60 and 70 years old when his wife Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. When Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day, which was according to the law, they were met by two elders, one by the name of Simeon and one by the name of Anna, who was a prophetess. These two elders confirmed the identity of that Christ child, that he was the Messiah. The Apostle John was advanced in years when he uh, was on the Isle of Patmos, which is where and when he received his greatest revelation of Jesus Christ and also when he received the revelation through which he wrote the book of Revelation. Daniel would have been advanced in years when he was cast into the lion's den. He was even older when he interpreted the handwriting on the wall for Belteshazzar. But his advanced age never limited him in the scope of his prophetic ministry, and it certainly never rendered him irrelevant. But perhaps one of the most posthumous endorsements of the elders is recorded in the book of Exodus. Moses was 80 years old. You say, well, people lived longer back then, and they didn't age like we do today. Okay, you just keep saying that to yourself. He's 80 years old when he stands at the burning bush and God sends him to go back to Egypt to bring God's people out of bondage. His two strongest allies were Aaron, his brother, and Miriam, his sister, and they were both older than he was. Are you beginning to see the picture here? So the man who would lead Israel out of the iron furnace of Egypt, the man who would be the first high priest of Israel, and the prophetess who would accompany them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, all were north of 80 years old. Biblical precedents for God using aged men and women during dispensational transitions and during dynamic kingdom shifts and or challenges is undeniable. So in the event that you think that I'm standing on shifting sand or personal opinion. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, 16. God told Moses, when you get back to Egypt, here's what he says in verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and inform them, basically, what I just sent you here for. He didn't say, go get an army. Go get a bunch of young men. Now, you go get the elders together, and you tell them what you're here for and what I'm getting ready to do. So his first order of business was getting a bunch of elders together who we consider to be in the seat of irrelevance because you've done your thing, and you've finished your work, and now just sit there and ride it out until the end, whatever that end is. Verse 17, I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt under the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, into a land flowing with milk and honey. And God told Moses, they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, and thou and the elders of Israel under the king of Egypt. Now, 
I still remember when Charlton Heston played Moses. Your young people again are going, what? Charleston who? But in every movie, Moses walks into Pharaoh's court all by himself, puts his rod down on the ground, boom, and it echoes through the chamber, the hollow chamber of Pharaoh's hall, and says, let my people go. But the word of God says he went into Pharaoh's court accompanied by the elders. So Pharaoh's looking out at a bunch of old folks. How old's an elder? Well, the, the best I can figure that it's 60 and over. So I'm well into elder territory. He didn't bring an army of young men with fierce looks on their faces like, if you don't, if you don't listen to us, Pharaoh, we're going to rise up. He took an army of old folks, old people. I think that Pharaoh was probably laughing. You guys got to be kidding me. Is this a joke? See, that's the way some people think today. James didn't feel that way. He said, if, if somebody said, call an elder. Get the elders here. You see, we've reversed things in the apostolic church today. And so he took the elders with him. In Exodus chapter 12 and 21, Moses called for the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to the families and kill the Passover. The Passover was instituted by the elders. He said, elders, you make sure this happens. Make sure every family's got a lamb. Why? Who's going to listen to the young man? What do you know? But the elder the elders of the church, people will have a tendency to listen to. You go get everybody to get a lamb and get ready because we're going to kill the lamb and we're getting ready to leave Egypt. And then when they're in the wilderness and Moses is called to the mount, Exodus 24 and 1, he said to Moses, Come up unto the Lord thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship afar off. So please allow me, and I'm going to do it anyway, but please permit me to be candid. Well, I thought that's what you were doing, Bishop. It's getting ready to get just a little bit more real in here today. Paul said at one time, he said, you know, I speak this by permission. This is not the Lord, it's just me talking. Well, this is not me talking. I have been taking notes in prayer for at least two months, maybe longer. Um, you can blame me for it, but that's the way it always works. But we claim as apostolics, if anybody claims this, we claim this as apostolics, that we follow the word of God pertaining all matters of life, kingdom government, and yet we yield to the cultural norm that relegates people of a certain age to a position of unimportance. Do I need to repeat that? Because it's awfully quiet in the room. Truth has a tendency to do that sometimes. But not only is this true, many apostolics who are advanced in age accept that 
and even welcome it because it provides them with an excuse. Don't tell the elders what car I drove to church today. I don't want my tires to be flat when we get ready to go home. I'm just kidding. I know no elder would do that. But I know I'm, I, I'm speaking some things that may not be easy to be received. We bought into the American concept of what it means to be retired, and we have applied it to the kingdom of God. So I know what you're thinking. At least some of you, I'm, I'm sure, I can almost hear it in my own mind. Aren't you retired, Bishop? I'm retired from pastoring. I'm not retired from the prayer room. I'm not retired from worship. I'm not retired from preaching the word of God. I'm not retired from uh, teaching home Bible studies. I'm not retired from praying with people in the altar. I'm not retired from anything but pastoring. I'm not retired from discipling and mentoring and, and helping new converts. And so I made up my mind, and you need to listen to me now, that I will not allow my absence to become the excuse for a younger person. I'm just praying if God wants me to say this or not. I'm afraid to say it. I just don't want to say it if it's me and not the Holy Ghost. I don't want to become the excuse for a young man or woman to be unfaithful. Because if they walk in the prayer room and there are no elders in the prayer room, they're saying, if they're not here, why do I need to be here? Perhaps if I was the pastor, I would say this, but since I'm not, you can deal with it. At least I'm, I'm trying to do that. So I know I'm going up against a strong mentality. It's a mentality that has pervaded the apostolic community now for some time. And what I'm going to say, I've heard other preachers say it, so I guess it's okay to say it, that there's too many apostolics that feel like they've paid their dues. Joel 2.28, So come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And according to Joel's prophecy, a prophecy which we often refer to and defer to, and we claim that we still believe it, uh, old men, old men retain a concerted and conscientious relevance in the spirit and in the kingdom. Why would God give dreams to old men if they're irrelevant? And so God has undeniably positioned elders firmly within the body of Christ, and these elders are strategic. Trust me, they are to everything that God is doing through the Spirit and in the church in these last days. He has chosen men and women 
of God who are seasoned by years of faithful service. And so it's unfortunate that somewhere around 30% of the body of Christ has been rendered ineffective simply by convincing the elders that they're excused from duty because of their age. I say this only because I think it needs to be said. I think it will add um, greater credence to what I am preaching. So don't you go on a trip to Branson for two or three months at a time? What do you do when you're in Branson? Tell them, Sister Bruce, what do I do when I'm in Branson? No, we preach. We preach. She is an altar-working machine in Branson. She's not there just to sit there as a knot on the log. Brother, Brother Hopper has told me, whatever you feel like doing, you do it. The last time we were there in eight weeks, I preached five times. You say, we're on vacation. You are never on vacation when you're a child of God. Be instant in season and out of season. Brother Hopper says, he calls me bishop. He says, Bishop, I don't want to impose on you when you're on vacation. I said, Brother, I'm here for you, whatever you want, whatever you need. I am an elder in the church. I'm a bishop in the church. I am not a retired minister. Come on. You are not a retired saint of God. Should I, I quote that quote, Brother Galan? We were talking about this Friday night after prayer, about 1 o'clock in the morning. Brother Glan referred to me something that was said at the district conference. It was something Brother Williford said. I was testing him. He didn't know who said it or, or who said it that quoted somebody, but it was Brother Williford who quoted J.T. Pugh, and he said this, that we will either be an example or an excuse. So I'm sure you've heard of the idiom. Yeah, I know I'm going long. You know, we, we, walk, we watch a lot of preaching on YouTube. There's, there's barely a message that's under an hour. There's barely a message. You look at some of these guys, an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes. If we're an apostolic, listen, when I'm eating a filet mignon and baked potato, I wish it would last 45 minutes. <laughs> Bowl of ice cream, even after I microwaved it, I wish it would last 30 or 40 minutes. I know you've heard of the idiom that if you don't lose it, you use it. If you, if you don't figure that out when you get old, you will know exactly what that's referring to. But I think it's not any more true than in the kingdom of God and in the things of the Spirit. And there are some things that we deem very important, high-priority things, uh, and they fit into the scope of the city. And for example, unreciprocated love dissipates. Unused muscles become weaker. Unexercised courage expires. Unused power is reassigned. I used to pray like that. What? Unused opportunities disappear. Unchallenged minds tune out. Unoccupied altars grow cold. And unused anointing evaporates. So if we have the vision, the visions of anointed and faithful elders, 
accompanying the visions of the young people. I said visions, but you know I meant dreams. If the dreams of the elders merge with the vision of the young, that's what we call revival. Praise God. The elders know what's around the next bend. So how do they know? Are they prophets? No. We've been there. The elders know what's in the fire that you're getting ready to go through because they have been there. The elders know what to do when you're attacked by a horde of demon spirits because they have been there. Elders, you are one of the greatest advantages and gifts that God gives to the church. You say, well, why is that? I can't go as long, do as much, stand as long. I get that. We'll deal with that in a moment. But you have to understand that you are living proof you are living evidence. You are a living testimony. You are a living confirmation that the grace of God is sufficient through every trial, every tribulation, every battle, every struggle, every circumstance, every situation because you're here. And if God can bring you through it all, he can bring the young people through. You're a living witness. Now, we don't, we don't wear a badge of honor upon our chest for that, but it is the reality that exists within the kingdom of God. So Psalm 79, uh, 71 and 9 says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. I pray this often. I say, God... I don't know if I got 10 minutes or 10 years to live, but I want to serve you until my dying breath or until the trumpet sounds. I want to be involved and engaged all the way to the end. And something tells me that the psalmist felt the same way. For in verse 17, he wrote, Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, here it is, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. When God restores the ministry of the elders, they will demonstrate that to the generations that are behind them. They will show God's strength and God's power because that's part of the ministry of the elder. You can't do it when you're absent. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we've quoted a million, trillion, zillion, quadrillion times. 
But every elder is absolute proof that that scripture is true. I didn't say you won every battle. I didn't say you won every battle. But you're here, aren't you? So through the ministry of elders, through the ministry of elders, God will show his strength and his power to the generations that are behind us. And trust me, they need, they need that. Musicians, if you would join me on the platform. I remember when I was 50 years old, and I'm not bragging about this, but I'm trying to make a comparison here what we're getting ready to go into. I remember when I was 50 years old, I could do dips with a 75-pound dumbbell hung around my waist. Now, dip is where you get on something and you, you're hanging and you dip all the way down and push all the way up. With my full body weight, I weighed about 185, so in 75 pounds, I could do 10 ripping them off. Don't ask me to do one without the dumbbell today. You see, the pastor can't preach this because you say he don't he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. It, it took an elder to preach this because I know, and I thank God that relevant good help. I have a left elbow that swelled up like a tennis ball. The doctor don't know why, or the physician's assistant. You know, to get to see the doctor now is like seeing the king. When I called, you, you want to see the doctor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of my first thought. Well, they said January. I said, what? I just want five minutes of her time. So I can relate, believe me. So in the book of Joshua, there's the story of Caleb. Again, I could try and piece this together, but reading it doesn't leave anything out. Joshua 14, beginning of verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me, Caleb said, and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, and I, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance. In other words, he's saying, Caleb, don't worry about a thing. The land that you spied out, what you saw in the land of Canaan, that is your inheritance. And thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, this Caleb talking, as he said these forty and five years. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that uh, once they crossed the Jordan River and brought down the walls of Jericho, it would be another five years 
before they would come to the land that Caleb spied out when he was sent over as a spy. Sometimes we, we misjudge the timing of things. As he said, these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, now, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Eighty-five years old. He writes, and yet, oh, I would love to be able to write this. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then, even so is my strength now. I think that I have gotten weaker since Friday. And he says that he is as strong as he was 45 years ago. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spoke in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, there were giants, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So the area that Caleb observed as a spy when he came back and gave a report was the area where the Anakims lived, mountain fortress, cities that were fenced and walled, giants. And yet he stands there and says, we are well able to take the land. A lot of those spies never saw anything quite intimidating as Caleb saw. And yet they said, we can't do it. We are not able. And so he's now 85 years old. And I think as they're standing there discussing the direction of the troops, that it was suggested, yeah, I know, Caleb, that God told you that he would give you this land, but you were a young man then. You're 85 now. Look at that mountain. It's, there's giants up there. And I think they questioned his ability to claim that land. I used to think that nobody wanted it, so Caleb stepped up, but if you go read it, that's really not what happened. They were seeming to indicate or question his ability. You know, I don't know, he's, he's gotten up in years now. He's gotten old now. He can't even read a clock. <laughs> At least I can see the clock. You gotta count your blessings, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> and so they questioned his ability. Caleb would not accept their assessment of him or their evaluation concerning his ability. And so he speaks up and he says, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As strong was uh, was then, was I then, even so is my strength. Now for what? For war. An elder says, I'm ready for war. 
And so he says this. An elder says this. Give me this mountain. Oh, let the young men take it. But the elder says, uh-uh. That's my victory. That's my promise. God gave that to me. God has given some of us elders things years ago. You have already laid them down and put them to sleep. I'm looking for some elders that will say, give me this mountain. But now you're saying, see, the argument goes, it goes to debate, but I'm not as strong as I was 45 years ago. I am not Caleb. I do not have the strength I had when I was 40 years old or 35 years old. But I'm going to blow that up right here. Because, you see, Caleb is a type of the New Testament church. He says, I'm as strong physically as I was 45 years ago so that an elder filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name that can stand up and say, I'm as strong in the spirit as I was 45 years ago. I could whip the devil then and I can whip the devil now. I can pray, I can pray the fire down then. I can pray the fire down now. I can pray people through to the Holy Ghost then. I can pray people through to the Holy Ghost now because I'm as strong in the Spirit today as I was 45 years ago. Stand with me. So how is that, Bishop? Well, in Caleb's case, y'all got getting your oil, get your oil out now. In Caleb's case, he ate the manna. Now, the manna was pretty cool. It didn't just maintain health and virility and strength. Their clothes did not get old. Their shoes did not wear out. The kids' shoes grew on their feet. Give me some of that. Well, the truth is, I've been eating the same thing for a long time. It's called the Word of God. I understand if you don't partake of the manna of God's word every day understand why your faith is diminished if you haven't eaten the word of God every day for 40 or 50 years I understand why you can't touch God and why you can't pray through but if you've been eating the word of God every day for the last 30, 40 or 50 years you are as strong in God today as you were then Caleb is a type of the church I might get older I might end up walking with a cane or with a walker someday if the Lord tarries and keeps me alive. But bless God, I can still call on the name of Jesus. Bless God, I can still war against demonic spirits. Bless God, I will still remain a man of faith. Praise God. To be honest with you, I'm just pretty tuckered out. It's true, I am. But I know that God wants to restore the ministry of the elders. And I know that because He has been talking to me about it, but also because there are endeavors that 
our purposes within the body of Christ and the kingdom of God that requires the exceptional uniqueness that can only be gained over many years of faithful service. Every one of you that has a bottle of oil, would you bring it where you know what it is, you know what it looks like? I want you to bring it and set it on the pulpit down here, if you would, and just bring it, set it on the pulpit. Sister Bruce, would you take these out of the sack that we brought from home? back to your seats when oh my my I knew we had oil in this church we're well oiled we are well oiled now I want to invite the sick to come and if you're up here and you're not sick you guys might want to move to the next row back I want just the sick people in the front I want all the sick people to come if you can Stand. You're welcome to sit in one of the seats, but I want all the sick people to come. If you're pain in your body, elders, if you can kind of hold off for a few minutes, we're going to bring you up. But right now we're bringing the sick people up. And I know you may qualify for this. We do not make light of that whatsoever. I wonder what would happen if we would obey the Word of God if we would do it God's way. See, I believe that God wants to do miracles and all he's asking us to do is just do it the way I told you to do it. So James wrote, is any sick among you? And the saints went, duh. Let him or them, in this case, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I want you to turn around and face the congregation, sick people. Turn around. And come all the way up toward the platform. Give them all the way back up toward the platform. And call for the elders of the church. Let them, the elders, pray over him or them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And something will happen. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And if, ladies and gentlemen, this is huge. This is huge. And if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. And what do we need 
for people to be healed, for the Lord to raise them up, and for their sins to be forgiven. If there is sin, all we need is the elders to pray over them. My God, I feel faith rising in this place. I feel the gift of faith operating in this place. God's going to do something because we are obeying His Word. But now comes the time when I want to invite the elders. Elder, I want you to bring your wife with you. I want the elders and your wife to come. Any fear of COVID, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. Any fear of some pandemic, I bind that spirit of fear in Jesus' name. If you think God is here to heal us and yet allow us to get sick, you are wrong. I want an elder in front of every person standing here. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to beg. Elders, 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 respond to the Holy Ghost. Respond to the Word. Come on. I want an elder in front of every sick person that's standing here. I want you to get a bottle of oil. Brother Galan, would you get oil and hand it out to the elders? My wife has struggled with an autoimmune condition. Just hold on to it. We're going to pray in a minute. An autoimmune condition that uh, she finally went to a retinologist because it deals with her eyes, the the, uh, iris of her eyes and psoriasis. And this retina specialist sent her to a rheumatologist. They took 48 ounces of blood out of her and performed tests that most doctors have never heard of before. And they finally given her a diagnosis. After 40, what, six or 47 years, they give her a diagnosis. The rheumatologist says, don't worry about it. We can take care of this and wrote her a script. She come home and I'm elated. You mean this can be fixed with a prescription? Yeah, that's what the doctor said. If you have $6,000 a month to afford it. So here's the deal. The side effects of this drug is tuberculosis, paralysis, sudden death. I know something that has no side effects. And it, Jesus has already paid this, the prescription fee on it. <laughs> Sister Bruce, you're in the wrong place. She always wants to pray for others. You need to turn around because an elder is going to pray for you. I don't care how long you've carried this. I don't care how long you've been sick. I don't care how long you've been in pain. I don't care what the doctor said or the doctor didn't say. We're obeying the word of God right now. (laughs) 
I want you to open that oil right now. And I want you to anoint that person in front of you and pray over them. Not just ask God to heal. Pray over them the prayer of faith. Come on, release that.
prove it.
My brother-in-law served in the infantry in Vietnam, and he told me when he came home, he said if when new recruits arrive in Vietnam, if they survive the first week, their chances go up dramatically that they will go home safely when their tour of duty is over. So his brother got drafted six months before he would have been too old to be drafted, six months before his 26th birthday. Went to boot camp, AIT, and was shipped to Vietnam before the first week was out. His one leg, I don't remember which one, was blown off. Almost lost an arm, but they saved it. I said that to say this. If you're going to get in the foxhole with somebody, pick out an elder. Not, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, any young person here who knows how to pray and touch God, but you want to know how to survive the night and the battle, get with an elder. Get with an elder. Praise God. Because chances are when the enemy comes marching over the hill, he said, I recognize that devil, and I recognize that devil, and we've already defeated you. Praise God. If I was in a storm, and God offered me three young men that could row the boat to safety, or three elders that knew how to pray, I would take the elders every single time. Elders, you do not realize the ministry that God has placed you in. It is vital to the church in this hour. It has always been vital in the kingdom of God for elders. You say, well, what about the church today? Well, let me leave you with this. Even in heaven, there are 24 elders that are seated on thrones around the throne of God. Even when you get to heaven, there are elders that are in very strategic positions and are a part of everything God's doing in the world today. I have a funny feeling their faces are not wrinkled. They don't look like elders. I hope to God when we get to heaven, you do not recognize me. God help, God help me if you do. Lord bless you. Thank you for obeying the Holy Ghost today. We dismiss you. We love everybody. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Have a great afternoon.